umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And it's good to get back to talking about on the field performance for our last podcast. Clint, I'm wondering, um, in the wake of spring practice, Jim Harbaugh and Matt Weiss have been talking a lot about uh, the depth chart of the quarterback position. And to me, this signals a change as previously we'd always get the, well, everyone is competing and we need to see how this goes. And uh, even if we had a pretty good idea of who we thought it was, we wouldn't get a confirmation um, sometimes until the until uh, until the the game started. So, what do you think about how Jim Harbaugh has talked about the quarterback position in the wake of spring practice this year? Yeah, I think that it's a pretty uh, clear contrast, like you mentioned, to previous seasons. I, I wonder, you know, that there's there's got to be a reason for that. I, I have the same, you know, kind of wonder and, and conjecture about what that might mean. Um, it, Number one, it could mean that Cade McNamara has the best grasp of the, the offensive system and, and had the best spring. You know, it, it may be uh, as simple as that. You know, sometimes uh, things are as simple as they seem. Um, but I, I can't imagine that he really grasped the job um, and took a step forward so strongly uh, as compared to some of the quarterback rooms in the past. But, um, you know, maybe that's the case. Maybe Cade McNamara, you know, really separated himself in terms of performance. Uh, there was another, you know, another piece of interest was that J.J. Uh, McCarthy moved up to the number two spot um, as an early enrollee freshman. You know, that's, um, that's significant also. You know, the last time that uh, a freshman kind of, quarterback moved up like that would have been you know probably chad henney who ended up becoming the starter um after you know kind of forced into the duty uh in fall camp so um i i think the fact that he's communicating about it is is really interesting because it's so different from what we've heard in the past um but uh a lot of signals also pointed to this being Cade mcnamara's job you know um joe milton's transfer obviously cleared the way for Cade McNamara because uh, Joe Milton and Cade were, were, you know, both had starting experience. And, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, Milton's arm talent, you know, but McNamara threw for, you know, 5,000 yards in high school and, and, and won multiple state championships and broke all kinds of passing records in high school and is fully capable um, and is also a, a very good athlete in terms of, a threat to run the ball as well if necessary. So he's certainly capable. And Joe Milton's transfer, um, you know, points to, first of all, that he, he would have been a grad transfer and he got his degree from Michigan anyway. Um, so it may have been part of his plan that if he wasn't, uh, if he wasn't on the track that he wanted, he, he maybe was planning to transfer. But uh, Milton's transfer could also point to, you know, Cade McNamara really seized the job. It, it, there are other signals that uh, Cade McNamara is clearly um, the best leader in the huddle to run the offensive system, best grasp of the system, 
that Josh Gaddis has put together and maybe has the most, uh, you know, the most repetition with uh, your group of receivers. So those are the simplest answers, but I agree that there is probably a, a shift in, in Jim Harbaugh's approach in the fact that he and, and the new quarterbacks coach, Matt Weiss, are both talking clearly about there being a clear number one. That is not what we've seen in the past. So it's funny that you mentioned the Chad Henney situation, right? So talking about like the culture of Michigan football and not exactly being clear on who your starter is, what I remember uh, in the run-up to Chad Henney's first start as a freshman was that everyone assumed it was going to be Matt Gutierrez. And I remember there being a huge spread in uh, one of the local newspapers highlighting uh, you know, get ready for the Matt Gutierrez era. And what we found out in retrospect was that um, Matt had an injury that pressed Chad Henney into the, uh, you know, a starting role that he never relinquished throughout his entire career. So again, it, it kind of highlights that, you know, there's, I think more of a transparency and definitely a, a, a different world as far as that position, as far as, talking about that position. And, you know, I wonder, one of the things that we've seen down at uh, at the fort or from outside the fort these days is there's been a number of, uh, there's been a shakeup in the recruiting function, right? They've brought in a number of uh, folks who are helping manage the recruitment of, of uh, prospects as they come on campus. They've turbocharge their outreach and i wonder if this transparency is is part of a recruiting strategy right because as you mentioned you have an early enrollee who in the words of jim harbaugh is is as you said second string and and battling out so i wonder if this is a a uh, a means to an end of hey listen if the quarterback position is up for grabs to to somebody who who comes in as an early enrollee. Hey, it's that way for every position. And uh, again, I just wonder how this fits in with the overall, how they're going to approach recruiting moving forward. Yeah, it'd be interesting to keep an eye on. I I don't think that there's anything concrete that we can pull out of the statements that we read, but there are, you know, kind of putting together the tea leaves and, and, and seeing what, uh, what hints might be there. Uh, You know, there's, there's also a grad transfer coming in um, from Texas Tech with uh, with some game experience, and you know the, he's also going to compete um, to to move up the depth chart. And I, I think that his um, his recruitment and his commitment to to coming into the in the summer and the fall also plays a role. That you want to make sure that you've established the guys that went through spring do have a leg up. But, um, you know, no, no depth chart is written in stone either. You want guys to be able to compete uh, every day. You know, you want to keep the, you know, iron sharpens iron kind of mentality. Um, and you want guys supporting each other. So maybe you didn't want to shake Cade McNamara's confidence um, in the wake of signing a transfer quarterback from Texas Tech. Wanted to make sure that he was still showing confidence in the guy that's been here through the spring. But uh, we've also seen that that quarterback depth is important. You know, uh, very rarely does the same guy make uh, all 12 regular season starts and finish every game. 
you know, that you're going to get dinged up and uh, the quarterback injuries, both for Joe Milton and Cade McNamara, uh, really had a big hand in um, derailing Michigan's season coming down the home stretch last year. I, I think in addition to COVID struggles, not having a healthy quarterback, whether they were infected with COVID or some other injury, not having healthy quarterbacks to put under center was a big reason that they could not field uh, field a team uh, late in the season in 2020. The other thing about this discussion or this information from Harbaugh that you know I was paying attention to is that Coach Harbaugh seems to be focusing a lot of his information uh, release through the In the Trenches podcast with uh, you know former Wolverine and former NFL player John Jansen. So it's interesting to see as, uh, you know, it's one thing to read what Harbaugh says in an article. It's another thing to hear him talk about it. Uh, you know, you hear his voice, you hear the way he approaches it, you hear the context. And I think that the way he's embraced um, that podcast not only gives him control over how information comes out, but opens up another channel of letting recruits know, get to know him and get a feel for how he operates. So um, I know I agree with you that there's not a lot of, of real hardcore substantive that we can take from this information release, but it does seem like there's a shift. Um, you know, we were talking previously on how this rebooted coaching staff has, has basically spawned much younger, right? And that seems to be a definite outreach to uh, with an eye on recruiting. And then we see these new recruiting positions coming in that um, are bringing another aspect. And then we see Coach Harbaugh talking, you know, at length in podcasts in a in a, a medium where obviously he can control it. It's it's friendly media, but it's still kind of a long form interview that, uh, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a, uh, a piece in the newspaper or a blog post, you pretty much just get the, the summary of it, right? That long form discussion back and forth, um, I think is, is another way that he can kind of get the message out and, and promote the Michigan program and, and promote, um, what, what we have to, you know, admit is a very critical season coming up, right? And if uh, not only does Michigan need to do well this season, but they need to, um, you know, keep that pipeline of talent going so that they can eventually, um, hopefully, topple Ohio State, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think one other bit about the, the communication strategy as it is right now is that things are just now kind of turning the corner and getting closer to what we would consider a normal cycle for, for college football, right? We, we, there was no spring last year. Uh, everything was shut down. The, the, the season was in peril and, and wasn't going to be played and then was played, right? So um, we're, we're just getting back to normal coming off of a, a spring ball, um, 15 practices, and some media availability, a little bit conservative, a little bit withdrawn, not a lot of uh, availability, but still some planned uh, releases that we've seen. But now, you know, the the 
recruiting dead period has ended and the, the coaches are now hitting the road, working camps uh, and, and seeing 2022 recruits and, and even younger, the 2023 recruits, talking to high school coaches out there in the circuit, um, a lot more conversations and visibility one-on-one and face-to-face. And uh, the news media obviously is also, you know, following the the high-profile coaches, and, and we'll get to see and hear more information um, that's not necessarily uh, so tightly controlled by the program, um, because this recruiting period um, that's about to start in June here is going to be a little bit closer to normal than than what it has been for the last, you know, uh, fifteen months or so. You know, another thing that I think uh, we'd be remiss in not mentioning is that Matt Weiss and Jim Harbaugh, both on the In the Trenches podcast, also both mentioned um, Dan Valari, who, uh, you know, didn't play last year, um, redshirted, but, you know, he was mentioned as having an outstanding year, too, so an outstanding camp. So it's interesting that the message seems to be consistent, and it will be interesting to see, as you said, as we move back to a normal cycle, as we move back to, you know, as we're quickly speeding toward fall camp, um, you know, which is which is odd to say because here we are in June, right? But the calendar is speeding by. And once camp spins up, um, you know, we're going to start hearing more about how these players are doing. And it'll be interesting to see how this depth chart um maintains itself or if it maintains itself as we get closer to the beginning of the season yeah i expect to see uh, a lot of a lot of movement um from you know the end of spring to uh the kickoff of the first game you know fall camp there's still going to be a lot of movers and shakers that um you know kind of climb the depth charts but uh especially on the defensive side of the ball but um the quarterback position and these comments, it's pretty clear that Cade McNamara has a solid hold on the starting job right now. Um, but that, again, nothing is permanent. So we will uh, we'll see what happens through the fall. And if there's a, a shock where we see J.J. McCarthy much earlier than we expected, um, then then that would be something something to talk about. But I think Cade McNamara is certainly capable. Delari probably going to come in, uh, try to have an impact on the running game or maybe some special um, H-back or wide receiver spot type uh, plays, similar to Taysom Hill on the New Orleans Saints. So that, that room is very interesting, gets interesting with the transfer coming in in the fall. And uh, if it's anybody but Cade McNamara, then we'll, we'll have a lot more to talk about. So we're going to switch gears here for a second. Two former Wolverines um, taking the dive into a new collectibles market. We're talking about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And uh, I think the, you know, the interesting thing is Quiddy Pay, who, uh, you know, high draft pick, um, announced that he was releasing uh, an NFT. And uh, the same thing, kind of in in a different vein, Tom Brady is starting a company to, to um, profit from NFTs. So what's interesting about this is, um, you know, this is a technology based on blockchain. It's a way of uh, controlling and ensuring that a digital collectible is, is the only one, right? It's a way of managing that. 
And uh, what Quiddy Pay has done is he has a physical item that also has an NFT alongside it. So what's interesting about this is that this is a brand new market. Um, what what this reminds me of, Clint, is where cryptocurrency was like 10 years ago, where people would joke about it, people didn't understand it, and um, you have these two high-profile players kind of jumping in to to try to take advantage of this. And I don't think anybody really knows where it's going to go or how profitable or or how um, how much how quickly it's going to take on, but it's definitely something to track. Yeah, I, I, the best understanding that I've got of this is, is like it's a digital trading card, right? But it's only it's the only one of its kind, and it, it's insured digitally that that it can only be you know one of it one of a kind. So it, it, Tom Brady starting uh, an entire. Uh, enterprise around um, a market like this is certainly interesting it shows that there's um you know some potential there uh i I know right now in the nba and the basketball world uh these are a little bit more popular and they're kind of leading the charge in terms of um volume or or trading activity with these nfts but the the real reason that i think it plays into uh, our conversation about uh, typically about college football is that it goes hand in hand with a lot of the legislation about name, image, and likeness. And, and this is a way to ensure that you control uh, the, the, the sale or the trading of, of what your, your image or your likeness uh, and, and control that value. Um, it, it's one emerging market that will have to be taken into consideration um, because this is exactly the sort of thing that high-profile players, uh, especially at Michigan, um, will have an opportunity to create these one-of-a-kind tradable uh, entities, digital entities, whether they're images or or physical things that can be traded, um, and profit off of this uh, while they're playing in college. So this um, is going to go from, I've never heard of it at all, to being front and center uh, right into the middle of the college football world, I think, because it's going to be hot and heavy um, revenue stream for the most high-profile players. So getting ahead of this curve or or at least understanding uh, a player or a program's position in this market will be a huge advantage um, both for you know kind of leveraging your own uh, high-profile players, and also showing that you're successful in that market will uh, will be a big deal for high-profile recruiting, like we've said previously. So what's going to be interesting, Clint, is I've talked to um, I've talked to people who are aware of efforts to um, to, like you said, to basically tie this to name, image, and likeness. And what's going to be interesting is I think what we're going to see is the the danger here or the plus here, right, for a program like Michigan or a program like The Ohio State University is this is going to be a way for the larger universities and the larger programs to set up 
Um, and I th- let me be clear, I think this is what's going to happen, right? As you said, it's a digital collectible. It's a way to, if you tie this to name, image, and likeness, right? This is a way that the larger programs, the big boys, are going to be able to set up a way to generate revenue for their players, right? And what's interesting about this is... Um, Imagine, okay, your top tier player, right? Your top, you know, top five, you know, five star recruit, right? Well, what's what could happen with this? And I think it's a real strong possibility is. So imagine you have an NFT for every player on the roster, right? And, you know, as this goes in the marketplace, marketplace, you might not be able to afford the five star, right? But if you want to support your team, you might buy like the second or third string nft right because the thing about nfts is again it's collectible right so you buy what you can afford right and 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 i think about like you know if you think about sports cars not everybody can afford a ferrari but you know a lot of people can afford a charger or a corvette right and with this becoming limited in scope you know you're only going to have so many of them that you're going to have a market set up, and I think, and, and again, it, for me, it always comes back to recruiting, right? Um, I've heard about conferences focusing on this, and again, as a revenue stream, and it's it could become a real incentive. Like, hey, if you go to this conference, we already have an infrastructure set up where you can profit from your NFT, right? That's going to be a huge you know, you have a situation where you, you have the haves and the have-nots, right? And when I look at the NFT coupled with where we are in name, image, and likeness, there's a real opportunity. The other thing that I think is a huge opportunity is quite often as these new ideas come down, they really uh, benefit the current players, right? Well, Clint, there's no reason that you can't mint an NFT for former players, okay? So what's interesting to me is as this market matures and as it kind of shakes out, um, there's going to be opportunities for organizations that control your marketplace, right? And um, so, again, if you can set up a marketplace for your players or your conference, um, there's going to be potentially a really big push to get into this. The other thing that I think is, um, you know, this generally um, appeals to a younger fan, right? Um, You know, uh, the same way where cryptocurrency, it it took a really long time for people to kind of appreciate what it can do and how it can benefit them. So I'm wondering... You know, the same way that we've seen kind of the explosion of e-games and video games and, and online gaming and people watching people playing video game, right? Is this, as I wonder if NFTs are going to be a way to expose college football and and expand the fandom in a different way. So again, it, 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 it really is the Wild West right now because it's right at the beginning and it's going to be really interesting as... As you know, I, as a self-admitted technology geek, right? I'm really interested to see how this is going to evolve. Um, and and again, it's really cool that Quiddy Pay got got in on it with his NFT. 
But when you see somebody with the brand awareness and the uh, notoriety and the, 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 you know, being a known quantity and a trusted quantity is Tom Brady. Tom Brady is really making the larger play here, right? He's making the play of, you know, not only beyond sports, but hey, let's set up, you know, and, and the way I describe this to folks is, you know, you have the stock exchange, right? If you think about the NFT marketplace, Tom Brady is really looking at setting up his own stock exchange for the NFTs, where not only the people who give the who sell their rights for the NFTs make money, but you own the market, right? So it's going to be really interesting how you know things evolve over the next couple over the next couple of years because it's not going to happen overnight. But there are so many different pieces coming together for this, and. Um, you know, I, I think uh, this is going to be something that we're going to be tracking for the next couple years as, as it evolves. Yeah, I, I think it's important to track it because it, it's gonna it's gonna be very very big when it hits, and we, it could it could be this season, it could be five years from now, it could be ten years from now. Uh, um, the, the way that these things happen uh, with digital. Uh, new technologies and, and new marketplaces, right? It's it's kind of a wild west and, and kind of a frontier style right now. So it may go very very slow. There may be things headwinds that that keep this hung up and uh, not not get off the ground right away. Or it could take off like a rocket again because I think there's an accelerant type of of effect that the uh, the name, image, and likeness legislature or legislate. Um, you know, both nationally and, and at the state level are going to uh, are going to work hand in hand. And this is going to be part of the conversation right away, um, in my opinion. But it's uh, it's a totally it's a total wild card and it will be very, very interesting to keep an eye on. I think your point about uh, Tom Brady kind of setting up an, an exchange um, is, is pretty important. It, it's it's pretty cool to have. Uh, an alum, an alumnus from our university, uh, being one of the pioneers and a big player in this, that that could certainly become advantageous for Michigan's football program. But it's also, you know, it, it's just another thing that that will make it more interesting to keep an eye on for for guys like you and me. Yep, really going to be interesting to see how this shakes out, and uh, you know, I, I have a pretty good feeling that we're going to hear pretty soon that not only is Tom Brady get involved in this, but I think there are going to be some, some we're in the near term, there's going to be some big announcements that Michigan fans are going to be interested in. So we'll definitely be tracking it. So um, we have a new sponsor support for umgobu.com is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 4FANS. That's the number 4, F-A-N-S, at manscaped.com. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. 
I am one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship, the details on the 4.0 are next level. You know, we've all heard stories about um, people uh, nicking themselves below the waist and being embarrassed, uh, and this is definitely the kind of tool that uh, can basically help things out and, and do it in a safe way. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredible, comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. I now feel confident shaving the boys. This upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn a 4,000K LED light spotlight on for when you need a more, a, for a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. Did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length, battery length last longer. Men, if you've been shaving with the same trimmer on your face, You've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with the wrong hairs in their mouth. It's time to get your own ball, hair, and body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance confidence with some nice, smooth skin. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 4FANS, the number 4FANS at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. And again, uh, just to talk about, we really appreciate having Manscaped as a sponsor. It's a really nice product. I think, uh, you know, guys, if you want to pick one up uh, to help with your personal grooming, um, I think it's going to uh, it's going to impress you with the quality of the product. And I think uh, anybody in your life will, uh, you know, will be impressed with it. So, uh, again, just remember to... Um, Get that 20% off and free shipping with the code 4FANS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code 4FANS, 4-F-A-N-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. So, uh, Clint, the other thing that I think is interesting as we're talking about new technology in the digital space um, and you know, and our sponsor has some new technology in 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 a space that's up close and personal for for many men. But the thi- I think it was really interesting that the NFL has adopted a new helmet for offensive linemen and defensive linemen. And the the strategy here, or the thought here, is that this helmet is going to include some extra bumpers and some extra technology to hopefully cut back on the number of concussions. So what's interesting about this to me is if the NFL is adopting this, how quickly will we have data to show how effective this is and how quickly will this filter down to, um, you know, the, the collegiate levels. And I'm wondering if we're at the beginning of um, specialized helmets for different positions, right? And, you know, we already have in the NFL, you have the quarterback helmet that has the radio, okay? That's a, that's a different piece of equipment. You're now getting this new helmet for offensive linemen and defensive linemen. And I'm just wondering, again, 
when this is going to filter down to college and, and how much customization of equipment we're going to see moving forward. Yeah, I think a big part of determining whether this will become a major shift in, in equipment uh, manufacturing and design is whether it can be effective. Uh, this particular design or this particular announcement came with, um, you know, a target to, to reduce the number of concussions, which was actually at a peak in 2017, you know, and to hear that it was that recently in the past, um, still increasing all the way up through uh, 2017 was, uh, was a little bit surprising, you know, with uh, significant rule changes, both at the college and the NFL level, um, targeting rules, uh, kickoff changes, right? Some, some of the, the, plays uh within a football game that were very high impact and certainly were were high risk for creating concussion um uh scenarios uh i was really surprised to see that it had continued to increase all the way to uh you know 2017 so an acknowledgement that just the the repeated um collisions that happen in the trenches along the offensive and defensive lines being the next target to try to reduce these uh the concussion numbers i think is an admission of you know that it's not just these high risk critical plays it's kind of the mundane every single snap uh plays that that happen along the offensive and defensive lines that we need to reduce these uh, these impacts on your brain. So um, I think that that's a, a step in the right direction to at least acknowledge that uh, it's a normal, that these problems are happening within the normal uh, processes of the games, not just the, the, the big targeting plays or, or, or kickoffs, that it's actually every play that, uh, that kind of has that impact on the players. And I hope uh, certainly that these new designs and technologies uh, are effective in bringing those down. I'll certainly be watching closely to see uh, how, how they, how successful they are. Um, I can tell you in, in my opinion, um, you know, concussions uh, happen when the brain collides with the inside of your skull. So regardless of the padding on the outside of your skull, I, I still think that some of these collision type, uh, impacts are going to be really tough to reduce unless we, we start to understand more about the direction uh, of impact be, being a critical factor or some some other kind of breakthrough in understanding. Um, but right now, going fast and then stopping um, and, and those those repeated crashes uh, is always going to have a, take a toll, um, especially for those guys that are in there at 300 plus pounds lined up uh, from a guy, you know, of equal size and strength. So uh, I hope I hope that this is successful. I think it's positive that they are starting to zoom in on different position groups, especially um, the, the high contact and repeated contact uh, part of the play up front on the, for the linemen. So those are positives. Um, but I have to tell you, I'm a little bit uh, less optimistic that it's going to be impactful um, when, when the numbers come back. So the scary thing is that, in my opinion, the, uh, the threat and the danger of concussions is a cloud hanging over the sport. 
And I know there are a lot of uh, old school folks who want to dismiss this, right? And want to say that, you know, this is kind of a, um, a wussifying of the game. But the reality is, is that you can't have players go into the NFL and come out with this damage on the other end. Um, it's going to limit the amount of kids who go into the sport and eventually you're going to see a, uh, you know, we talk about that pipeline of talent. You're, you're going to limit the pipeline of talent. You're going to starve the sport. And, um, you know, the NFL is, is Godzilla, right? It's a monster. It is a monster that, that lives on advertising. And the fact of the matter is, is that advertisers are not going to want to be associated with a product that maims people. So... What's scary for me when I read this article is, as you said, they've been trying to make all these changes and it really hasn't moved the needle that much. And there is there is no conclusive data right now, right? There's lots of different data points that say, hey, we used to think it was the big hits, right? Guess what? It may be the, the relatively minor concussive, um, you know, hitting, 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 like, like linemen, right? Just bumping in practice. So while I'll be interested in this data, I'm a little afraid of, as you said, that it's not going to move the needle that much. And, um, you know, and then you have the NFL, you know, expanding the season, right? So it's really a contradictory message that they really need to get a handle on it. Right. And, you know, the, the, uh, the original tact was kind of to ignore it. It's not happening. And, oh, it's happening. Let's, let's, let's modify some rules. And, again, I, I don't think we found the silver bullet on, on how, to, how, to, how to, to, to slow it down or how to prevent it from happening. Or, honestly, even how to diagnose it, right? Um, so, uh, so, again, it's very interesting. Uh, you know, I, I think... Um, it'll be interesting, too, because, um, you know, as we say, listen, most guys aren't going to go to the NFL, okay? So at a certain point, are you going to risk your you know, your life if they can't find a way to limit this? So, again, there's a lot, um, there's a lot of, of wrapped up in this. Uh, there's a lot wrapped up moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I think people really need to keep an eye on it because I think it's a danger to the sport. Yeah, and I, I, I have one particular uh, kind of angle on this that, that I wonder about, and it, it would involve it would involve doing a little bit of digging and maybe even some of some initial research or contacting somebody that does this type of work. But in my opinion, you know the the, the threat at the youth level and, and the youngest football players is not quite the same as the threat is. Um, at the at the high school level, and certainly not the same at the Division One FBS college level and, and the NFL. And I think it's a uh, it's a it's a problem of physics, right? I think bigger, stronger, and faster players obviously are creating uh, more momentum and, and creating bigger collisions, and that's having more impact on on their brains, obviously within their skulls. So. I would think that the number of those collisions uh, of some critical, you know, speed or momentum 
um, probably start at some certain size, you know, and this is, this is a, a particular conversation or, or some additional nuance that I think would be beneficial for the people who are huge advocates of the game of football, as you and I are, but also don't want to be, uh, you know, don't want to bury our heads in the sand or, or make risky decisions when, when talking about kids playing a, a game that could end up, you know, having a detrimental effect on their health and, and, and the length and quality of life uh, for the rest of their lives, right? So we need to keep this in perspective. But I do wonder um, if there is some critical point or size um, that the kids or, or that the players get to where the risk of, of concussion and, and the damage that you're actually doing to the brain in the normal routine of football playing um, actually becomes significantly different. Um, and, and, and I think those uh, understanding that or at least understanding that, uh, you know, a, a sixth grade uh, offensive lineman colliding with a sixth grade defensive lineman has the same impact on that kid as it does, you know, with a 10-year NFL vet colliding with another 10-year NFL vet. Because I think the other variable, obviously, is just the number of repetitions, right? I, my football career started in seventh grade and stopped in 12th grade, right? Six seasons I played football and that's it. Um, you know, some folks start when they're playing eight, you know, seven years old or eight years old and play all the way until they're nearly 40. You know, that, that's a much different uh, path and arc and, and a much different level of risk. So understanding how to mitigate risks at different ages, sizes, and, uh, and levels of the sport, I think it, it would help to, uh, to limit the impact on the game that so many advocates uh, are worried about. Then we need more information from people that are actually trying to do uh, the right thing for the right reasons and uh, less um, PR and damage control for the NFL, in, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, and, and to be clear with everyone, okay, Clint and I are huge advocates not only of college football but of, of high school football, right? And what, what I really want to see is, is a way to mitigate this, not to ignore it, okay? So, um, you know, I don't, I, we're not being alarmist here. Uh, I just, I have a genuine interest, right? And, and Clint, I'll tell you, um, you know, in my very brief playing career of three years, um, I had a pretty, a pretty um, impactful concussion, right? And at the time, you shook it off, right? I mean, you, oh, wow, big hit, ha ha, right? So it's definitely interesting that there's an awareness now Things are much better in, in trying to diagnose and pull players out, and I think it's only going to get better as, as there's more knowledge and, and more um, more research and and more ways to, uh, to to mitigate the risk. And I'm hoping that there can be a way to mitigate the risk because, you know, I I wanna I want to keep watching football. I want to feel good about watching football. Yeah, I agree. You know, my my oldest son. Just uh, just did a little writing assignment in his first grade class the other day and said that when he grows up, he wants to be a football player, you know, and and, and it starts a conversation between my wife and, and, and myself about, you know, how comfortable we would be and when, um, you know, we would be comfortable with him, him being a football player. 
you know so that's uh these are real challenges faced by by people every day and everybody makes their uh their own decisions but like you said i i think you said you hit the nail on the head that more information uh and and from people with the right motivation to try to solve these problems and mitigate the risks and, and you can't you can't totally eliminate risk uh, of course um, but you do have to acknowledge that the risk is real and, and understand uh, the, the long-term impact of the risk that you're taking and then um, do your best to mitigate that the best that you can because you got to keep uh, kids, obviously, but also uh, young adults and, and eventually you know, uh, older adults and, and guys that are playing in the NFL and then retire and have their, uh, their quality of life totally altered um, by these decisions. I think uh, it's well worth the, uh, the extra effort to get in there and understand it and do it right. Absolutely. And again, this is a topic that we will revisit as, uh, as things evolve. So that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.